Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Huntington Community Church. We are so thankful you've chosen to gather with us this morning. Um, it's amazing to even see, like, the kids out. Like, there's still just people everywhere. Uh, uh, I'm reminded of that week when we had college students just sitting here on the floor. Uh, it's beautiful to see people wanting to get up on a Sunday morning to gather. I know you had an extra hour of sleep last night, right? All the parents said, what are you talking about? No way, because my child was uh, at, up at 5.30 this morning. So, yeah, I'm thankful for the daylight savings time. So I've been up since 5.30 with her. Uh, and uh, so I look forward to the day where daylight savings actually means something again. So bless all of you who got that extra hour of sleep. I be not you, but uh, excited to be here this morning and just be able to open up God's Word. And so I invite you, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 19. We get to walk through this morning God's holy word. We think of all the words that we say, maybe all the things you've written down, all the texts you've done. God left us with his spoken word, and he put them in a book, and he's kept them for us so that we can know his word. So we get to walk through that this morning. I pray we never just take that for granted. Uh, there are many cultures that don't have uh, a, a Bible, and so um, they don't get to do this, and so we get to just walk through this passage, and this is one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Old Testament. I love Exodus 19, and so Exodus 19, uh, titled this sermon, A Treasured Possession, it's this beautiful picture where God wants to be in relationship with His people. I mean, you're going to see this morning in this passage, God speaking. And again, I think we maybe take that for granted. We have a God who speaks. We don't have to be confused on who God is or what he wants from us. He's spoken to us. So we have a, we have a God who speaks. And we have a God who listens. We're going to see Moses talking to God. To think that God has an ear for us. Isn't that amazing? Like, God wants to hear from us. I mean, think about, like, if you try to call somebody famous today. So whether that's, I don't know who your man crush is on, if it's, you know, some football player or some star actor or actress. I don't know who you, like, just are, fan, like, fanboy of. Like, could you just call them and they would listen to you? We have a God who listens, and we see that in this passage. God wants to listen to you. Seven billion people in the world, and God's waiting to hear from you. It's amazing. So we get to see God's a God of relationship. Uh, this idea of union and communion we're going to see in Exodus 19 today. So let's, uh, let's just walk through this passage. We're going to do um, all of 19 today. And we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. Great, great Sunday. So here in 19, starting in verse 1, it says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain. Okay, so when they say the mountain here, this is, it's not just 
any mountain. This is like the mountain. In Exodus 3, this was called the mountain of God. This is where Moses first encountered God through the burning bush. He's back. So you imagine Moses, like, just that sensation of, like, oh, man, I remember the last time I was here, what happened. And just that looking forward to maybe it happening again. So he's coming back before this mountain, verse 3, while Moses went up to God. You're going to see a lot of this. Remember, Moses is at least 80 years old right now. And he's going up this mountain and down this mountain and up this mountain and down this mountain at 80, all right? For those of you who know me, know that I'm not a huge fan of hiking. And just imagine, like, the movement in this chapter alone of just up and down this mountain. And Moses, for Moses, it's worth it because he knows at the mountain he gets to see God or he's near God. So Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. So you remember in chapter 3, he spoke out of the fire. Here he's speaking out of the mountain. His presence is just covering this mountain. And so he has instructions for Moses. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of God. God's doing something huge here. I mean, just look at this language. As you look at this, five and six. There's this partnering here. Like, if you will do this, if you'll keep, um, if you'll obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. He says, the whole earth is mine. I am sovereign. I am in control. And out of all the nations, I have chosen you. You are to be my treasured possession. There's contingency there. But you see God's heart. It's to be with his people. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Now, prior to this, so maybe when you think Old Testament, you think, maybe you think in categories of, of priests and kings and some of those things. There are no kings at this point in Israel's history. There are no priests right now in Israel's history. When you see the word priest so far, if you just start reading from Genesis 1 till now, you'll see it in Genesis um, talking about a guy named Melchizedek, okay? Um, but that was prior to even there even being in Israel. Uh, and then you'll see it, you'll see priestly language in Egypt. The Egyptians had these priests, okay? But this is the first time you see God using this language with the Jews, that he's saying, I'm going to make you this kingdom of priests, one kind of person. 
Not, not, so when you think of priests, you think of, of the sacred category of people who were set apart so that you would come to the priest with your sin, That's, that priest would make atonement for your sin. But there's kind of like this mediator between you and God. And here God's desire is that there would not be these categories, that there would just be one group. You would all be this kingdom of priests. That's God's desire here in Exodus 19, that you'd be a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I love this chapter. So Moses is up on the mountain, receives this message. This is awesome. What God wants to do with Israel. So Moses hears this. Um, verse 7, Moses came and called the elders. We, we knew they're elders. We've seen that category. So he calls the elders of the people and set before um, them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I, I, I love that phrase. I, that God said, hey, I'll... If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, and Moses goes and tells them, they say, everything the Lord says we will do. Now, we know that's ridiculous, right? We've, we've read before what they do, and we've read after what they do. That they're not going to keep everything that God says. <coughs> and so, you imagine when they say this, Lord, Moses may be like, okay, let's see how this goes. But they at least said we're going to do everything. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reports these words of the people to the Lord. So he's, he's gone up, he's come down, he's gone up. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So Moses is serving as like this mediator. We've seen that already. He's this, the go-in-between person. So he's going down, and he's coming up, and going down, and coming up. And it's to allow the people to see that there's something special about Moses. And so God's coming. He's coming in the thick cloud. He's, he's telling them how it's going to happen. Uh, and he says, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them, in verse 10, today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. That they need to understand that even though God wants to be in relationship with them, that there's something unique about the Lord, that the Lord is holy, that you just can't rush upon Him just any old way, that yes, He wants to be with you. But there's a holiness to him that you have to come in a certain manner. So he says to consecrate yourself, wash your garments, they're filthy. Verse 11, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Can you imagine that? Imagine, you know, three days. If the Lord, so today's Sunday, if we go out to Wednesday, I say the Lord's coming back Wednesday, how would you live the next three days? 
It'd be cool to think about. They knew the Lord's coming three days. Just imagine that conversation. What's he going to be like? What does he look like? You know, what, what, what are we going to do? I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm afraid. A mixture of all these things. They had three days to get ready. Verse 12, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. So we start to see God's holiness. You just can't come running and carelessly come to God. You have to come in a right manner. So he says, don't touch the mountain. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. So we see the seriousness of God's holiness. You just can't come up upon God in any old fashion. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up the mountain. Isn't that exciting? So three days, you know, God's coming. This thick cloud is going to cover this mountain. You hear this trumpet, this long blast. You shall just run up the mountain. So Moses, verse 14, went down the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. And do not go near a woman. So they're ready. They're getting consecrated. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day. Imagine that feeling in your stomach. Have you ever met anybody important? Somebody significant? You remember that feeling in your stomach? Just the first time like you saw them or encountered them? Think of this. Put yourself in the story. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Now, what was supposed to happen? It's okay. You can talk. Remember, long trumpet blast. What do you do? You run up the mountain. You show, come up the mountain. We see here thunder and lightning. That's pretty intimidating. It's a long trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. You're going to see fear in these next couple chapters of Exodus. Fear keeps them from the relationship that God intended for them. Fear. And I don't think anything's changed. For us today, fear, fear of trusting God at his word, fear of the unknown of what it would look like to be all in, fear. We are a generation plagued with fears, and those fears manifest to anxiety, to worry, to doubts, fear. They trembled. And this is not the good tremble that we are instructed to have. You know, in Psalms, Proverbs, we're reminded often, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
We are to fear the Lord, but this is not that kind of fear. This is the fear that keeps you from trusting the Lord. And so they trembled. Verse 17, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. I mean, this is a huge day. Put yourself in history here. I don't know if I would be any different, if I'm just being honest. The whole mountain trembled greatly. Verse 19, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, <coughs> Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. You see Moses and God, this dialogue, speaking, listening, speaking, listening, communication. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. Notice that just it's just... Now it's just Moses. Remember, it was kingdom of a priest, a treasured possession, a holy nation. All of you worship me on this mountain. So now it's just Moses. Something happened, right? Something different. And so Moses is coming to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord. To look, and many of them perish. No, I thought the Lord instructed them to come up the mountain. Now he's saying, warn them, lest they break through. And also, verse 22, let the priests, highlight that, who come near to the Lord, consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to them, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through and come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. You see what happened? Back in 5 and 6, kingdom of priests, one type of person, your treasured possession among all peoples, you're a holy nation. There's not going to be these categories. Kingdom of priests. But then here in verse 24, we saw it also in 22, that there's the priests, and then you see the people in verse 24. Go down, come up, bring Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people. Now, at this point, we, we don't really even understand the whole priestly office. It's Aaron is going to lead that. Um, and, uh, but it's just being established. But here, God is already speaking in terms that it's done. 
that this whole beautiful picture of verses 5 and 6, this treasured possession, this holy nation, this kingdom of priests, that, 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 that it's not going to happen now. That plan has come and gone. It's terrible news. It's bad news. You know, they got their hopes up, and then crushed three days later because of sin. Sin brought in the bad news. So the bad news is that now there's going to be this order set up of priests. And so from here forward, you know what's coming next in, in our Bible? Exodus 20 is rules, Ten Commandments. And there's going to be these priests that would administer. Uh, when you break a commandment, there would have to be some kind of sacrifice now. And you'd have these priests. That would be their role. Their whole life now would be killing animals for the shedding of their blood to cover the sin uh, of, of Israel. Uh, that they wouldn't be this holy nation. That they would continue to rebel and not keep God's um, word. This is terrible news. This was God's intentions from the very beginning. You see back in Genesis, God dwelt with or walked with Adam and Eve. He had this relationship with them. But because of sin, it changed. Um, so God, in the garden, kicked them out of the garden, and he put an angel there to keep them from coming in to the garden. He could never come back here again. And the angel was there to keep them from coming back in. And as we continue through this life of Moses, and we're going to see this tabernacle being constructed soon, and this tabernacle had these different sections. And there's a section where the priests could come. But then there's going to be this curtain or a veil to where the priests could, couldn't even come past the veil. It was the Holy of Holies. It, it was special. It was, it was like the mountain here. Um, just as only Moses could go up the mountain, uh, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and he could only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so there's going to be these categories of people and different offices, and this is bad news. God wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to be with them in this beautiful relationship, but because of man's sin, it just couldn't be that way. God's holiness is so high for us. He's not going to allow our unrighteousness to be with His holiness. And so this is extremely bad news for us. And so for centuries, the Jews are making sacrifices, blood's being shed, they're killing these um, lambs to cover the sin of, of, uh, of mankind. And so this goes on. There's this position of priest and people for centuries. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. In the book of Hebrews, the author writes this in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, for you have not come to what may be touched. Now, as I read, think of the language from Exodus 19. The author is obviously drawing back from Exodus 19. For you have not come 
to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So he's saying, but you haven't come to that. That, that, was, the, that was Israel. That's, that was what they approached. They came to Mount Sinai. And it was scary. It was frightening. You touch it, you shall die. Ah, oh, but you, you don't come to Mount Sinai. Verse 22, Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us not be, uh, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So you don't come to Mount Sinai. You come to Mount Zion. So you come to a better mediator. See, Moses, he had to go up and down, up and down, the people. But, but Moses was just a man. So you have a better mediator. You have Jesus where it's not man going up to God, man coming down back to man. You have the God-man, God coming down to us in Jesus Christ. God came down to us. And where the people, the Israelites, could not keep the words of God. So they broke that covenant where they were going to be this kingdom of priests. They couldn't keep it. Jesus comes as a representative for us. That he comes down as this God-man, as a representative of mankind. And he lives a completely obedient life on our behalf. So we are saved by works. It's just not your works. It's Christ's works. His righteousness. 
His obedience saves us. So now we approach Mount Zion. and We come boldly because of what He's done for us, not because of anything we've done. Christ has done it all. He lived the life that we couldn't live, that life of obedience. Isn't that beautiful? So Exodus 19 is this beautiful intention, but man just couldn't do it. I mean, my goodness, as soon as Moses came down and said, hey, here's the deal. You really just got to do everything God says. <laughs> People say, yeah, we can do that. Right there's a, they lied right there. They couldn't keep it then. Then they tremble. They were afraid. They didn't trust the Lord. But Jesus is perfect. He who was without sin became sin. He took our place. That is the good news. And so now... I mean, every Jew understood the importance of Exodus 19. So here, the author of Hebrews is going back to Exodus 19. First Peter, Peter goes back to Exodus 19. Look what he says to the church. He says, but you, church, this is not Israel. This is you, church. You are a chosen race. Does that sound familiar? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. I mean, you cannot read 1 Peter 2 and not think, oh, this sounds just like Exodus 19. God's intentions are being carried out in Christ. That, that we're a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He reminds us that you once were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is incredible language for us. I want you to reflect, for you, those of you who are in Christ this morning, I want you to reflect back to when you were not in Christ. For some of you, that's not that long ago. Maybe it's here recently, in the last couple of years. You remember God pulling you out of that darkness and saving you. Some of you, you got to go back years, right? The Lord has been so faithful to give you many years of serving Him. I want you to go back to that time. You once, you weren't always a part of the church. You weren't always in Christ. You know, sometimes I'll hear that language, though, from people. I'll say, hey, you know, tell me your story. How did you become a Christian? Well, I've always been a Christian. Huh, it's fascinating. You've always been a Christian? You confessed that you were a sinner and that Jesus Christ is Lord as an infant. Tell me more. You have not always been a Christian. You are a rebel. You were lost. Scripture says that you were dead 
and the trespasses of your sins. And that by God's grace, your eyes were opened. My goodness, you guys, I know, even for those of you who don't know much about pop culture, like myself, you've probably heard about a guy named Kanye West, who's, he's, and that's the language he's using right now. He's like, my eyes are opened. I, I was asleep, now I'm, a, I'm awake. That's a beautiful picture. What happens? I remember that for me. I was asleep going to class at Marshall. That's true in many ways. But I was a student at Marshall, and I was asleep to the things of God. I knew of God. My best friend growing up was the pastor's son. But I was asleep to the things of God. And in 1998, my eyes were open. I was awakened. We see that. That's Paul. Paul was blind. The scales came off. He saw. You were not always a people. You were enemies of God. That's New Testament language. Now, Granted, you could be in church from an infant. Your mom probably brought you, and you've been in the nursery since you were an infant. But even then, you have never confessed. And so here, we see that there's this change that happens. That, that you were called out of darkness, brought into his light. That you were once not a people, but now you are his sons and daughters. This is beautiful for us. The theological framework here that theologians would use here would be this idea of union and communion. Union and communion. You see that when you read Exodus 19. You see that here in 1 Peter 2. Union and communion. Union is, it's all on God. It's our union with Christ is all done by Him. It's, 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 it's by His kindness. It's, he's, he's done everything to establish this union with us. We don't contribute anything to this union with him. So when you're in Christ, there's this union that you have in Jesus. My goodness, read Ephesians. You're going to see Paul in chapter 1 using this union language. He doesn't say union, but it's in Christ, in him, in the beloved, all throughout chapter 1 that we are in. And notice chapter 1, all those things of Ephesians that you're in with the beloved are done before the foundation of the world. Now, what can you contribute before the foundation of the world? Nothing, right? So you see this union being done all because he is good and kind. 
And he has this desire to have these this people, this chosen race. But communion, on the other hand, it, it, this union leads to communion. Communion is a two-way street. It's a, it's a relationship. So you can be in union with Christ, but your communion with Him may be just weak, uh, lacking. Communion, it's, uh, it's a beautiful language. I'll read from John Owen, who is a famous Puritan. He says, our communion with God lies in his giving himself to us and our giving ourselves to him. This communion with God flows from our union with Christ. So our union with Christ is what he's done for us. Our communion is how we respond to that truth. It's about a relationship. You see that in Exodus 19. There's a relationship that God desires with his people. There's speaking. There's listening from both parties. That's what he wants with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to commune with you. He doesn't want to be this far off God or this genie that's in a bottle that you come to only when you have some kind of need. He he wants a relationship. He wants to walk with you. He's given us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside us. So we're never alone. You may feel lonely at times, but you're never truly alone. As a Christian, God always dwells with you. He's not leaving you. And so because of this union and our communion, there's a response. Um, First Peter continues, look at this. He says, Beloved, I, I urge you as sojourners and, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So I want you to see this, that he's, First Peter 2, he's, he's called you, he's, he's, you're this chosen race. And you notice you're back to being this priesthood. I'm not a priest. You're not the people. You don't come, I don't stand in between you and God. I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, I'm a shepherd. I lead, but I'm not your in-between. You can go to God because of what Christ has done for you. That that veil was torn. So now you can enter into the Holy of Holies. Not because you come through me, this high priest, but because Christ is your high priest. So you come through him. So you're this kingdom of priests. I want you to see this. This is, this is why, like, this communion, union, communion is so important. So union is what he's done for us. Communion is this relationship. And so sometimes we think, well, if this is what he's done for us, union, then I can go live however I want. That's a terrible relationship. You think about a marriage. If I just did that to my wife, that's not a good relationship. That, that because I, I care about my wife, because I love her, 
then I want to treat her a certain way. I don't want to abuse the love she has for me. I mean, I heard her. Some of you were there the day when we took our vows. And you heard her say, for better or worse. Now, thankfully, the pastor didn't go through all the details of what worse could be. But she said, for better or worse. So I could treat her worse. And some of you were there and could hold her to those obligations. But because I love her, I wouldn't want to treat her that way. Because I love her. Because what God has done for us, there's this relationship. And notice that Exodus 19, he, he wants to make this type of people. Um, but then they, they didn't live a certain way. It's faith and then actions. And here you're going to see God's this promise to us that we're this chosen race. But then you see this command on how to live that life out. That Him calling us out, now there's a response to live. That we don't just don't live however we want. That we live as different people. He says, I urge you. As sojourners and exiles, like, this is not your home. We're just passing through. But as you're passing through this world, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. There's a battle in your flesh right now. And some of you, you're going to find victory today. But there's a battle going on. He continues, First Peter. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's calling you out of darkness, and that is for your good, but it's also for the Gentiles, the lost, those who are still asleep, that they may be awakened, that they glorify God. Who's the they? The Gentiles, the lost people. They will glorify God by how you live out your life. There's something different about you, Christian. So that's, I pray that we are a church, that Huntington Community Church takes purity, takes holiness, personal holiness in their lives, that you take that seriously because you are a representative of God's kingdom here in Huntington. That God doesn't just call you out of darkness for your own self. He calls you out for you, but then you're also, your life is a witness for others. We are called to a life of holiness and purity. That we are supposed to abstain from sexual morality. And you see what comes next for, that, for Exodus. Now it's, here comes all the commandments. Exodus 20 and... And so for us, it's the rules don't, the commandments weren't meant to save Israel. They, they were there to, as Paul reminds us in Galatians, they were there to show them their sin, that they couldn't keep the law. It's a reminder for them. So 
This morning, speaking of communion, the church has historically called the Lord's Supper communion. And so Jesus invites us to commune with him this morning. That when you partake of the Lord's Supper or communion, there's this intimacy you're having with him that that you're saying, I believe that you died for me, that I am a sinner, I should have died on the cross, but you took my place. You were a substitute for me. So you're acknowledging that, that you're remembering what he's done for you, that just like he said, I'm coming in three days, there's also this, when we come to the table, there's also looking forward, he's coming again. So we take of the Lord's Supper until he comes again. And then I love how uh, when he returns, Revelation reminds us that when he's with his bride, the church, there's going to be another meal together. This going to be sitting at a table, sharing another meal. And so we get to have a picture of that this morning. So if you are in Christ, if you have this union with him, and your communion with him is one that you've repented of your sin, that there's, if there's any sin that you're harboring inside you, that you're confessing it, you're trying to reconcile every relationship that you can, then we invite you to come to the table. But if you are not in Christ, then we ask that you do not come to the table. That is, it's a sacred thing that Scripture warns those who are unrepentant or not in Christ that if you come to this table in a wrong manner, um, meaning that you're lost and just looking just to fit in or if you're unrepentant, then you could become sick or even die. 1 Corinthians reminds us of that. And so this is a serious thing. Don't take it lightly. So I'm going to give you time just to speak with the Lord. You don't have to come to me, the priest. I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm not your great high priest. So you come this morning whenever you're ready, as you're repentant, as you've confessed your sin to Christ, your great high priest. And you come. Um, If you're a guest this morning, you've never taken the Lord's Supper with us. We have two stations. They're both the same. You just come and you just take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and then you take the Lord's Supper whenever you're ready. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. that we would celebrate our union with you this morning, what you've done for us, that your body was broken, that your blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. So as we look to the bread and to the cup, may we reflect on what you've done for us, that you are still at work in our lives, that you are still creating us into this holy people, that you will finish the good work that you started in us. 
Lord, I pray you'd help us to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.